Father. And this morning, Lord, in this moment right now, we just want to give you the attention and the glory that you deserve. Like we, we lift these words, we lift these songs just to bring glory to your ear. Like we, we're bowing here before you, Lord. We're, we're in a reverent position, acknowledging the fact that you are greater than us, that your word, Lord, inspires us, that your spirit fills us and indwells us. And we're only here by you. Without you, Lord, we're hollow and we're empty and we're powerless. So before we even open your word, before we talk about what it means to us, we just acknowledge that without you, there's no point. There's no reason to sing. There's no reason to gather. There's no reason to be together. Thank you, Lord, for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. What is the weirdest thing you've ever texted somebody? I think I may have done it this week. It was a couple days ago, and I remember clearly, I texted Chantel, and I texted her, suck a lemon. And it'll make sense in a minute. Like, I'll explain how we got to that point, but I texted her, suck a lemon. I texted her the lemon emoji because she needed to know how I was feeling in that moment. I was feeling so sour and so upset. And you might not imagine me as an upset person, but that's because you only see me for two hours a week. The rest of the time, there's a lot going on here. And there was too in the book of First Peter, when Peter wrote this letter to this audience. When Nick told me we were going to be going through First Peter, I was wondering... How on earth would we relate to them? What were they going through that would even make sense to us? And then the more I read through it, the more I began to realize, to be honest, that this is probably the most applicable thing we could be reading. Why? Because we all want there to be light at the end of the tunnel. We all want there to be a reason for our pain. There's something that's so crippling about going through pain and not knowing when it's going to end. Like, it's one thing to have a tough day if you know tomorrow will be better, or to have a bad week if you have hope for the next week. What's crippling is the fear that it's never going to end. Like the pain is just going to carry on. Hopelessness. That to me is crushing. I could stay home for a couple days if I know I get to go out on the weekend, or I could stay home for a week or two if I knew maybe at the end of the month I'd be able to go see people. But like the never-ending cycle? Man. When you read through 1 Peter, even just in the first couple verses, you see clearly what's going on and who these people are. They're stranded and they're isolated. He calls them strangers and he calls them exiles. These are Christians scattered all across Asia Minor. This is the, the country where Paul was planting churches, just north of there too. These were Greeks living in a Roman world. These were Gentiles following a Jewish Messiah. They were slaves, they were servants, they were wives, they were husbands, they were normal people. But they were isolated and alone. They'd never seen Jesus, never lived with him, witnessed him, but they believed in him. And yet the whole world was telling them that Jesus was this stumbling block, he was this speed bump in the road, stopping them from getting where they should be going, slowing them down. And yet when they encounter Jesus, he becomes the capstone, the foundation of their life. Kind of like us. 
over the past 10 months, there's been this cycle that happens every single month. Let me lay it out for you and see if you can uh, sympathize with me. You ever bought a lottery ticket? Went home, whether it's a scratch and you scratch it off or it's just the numbers and you wait to see. And then at the end, when it's finally revealed that you lost, because you always lose, or you win 10 bucks, you go back and you try again. And you see people like this, right? They're in this cycle. You go, you pay your money, you get it, you lose, you go again. You pay your money, you lose, you try again. And I don't know whether it's the investment that they've made, like the money they've sunk in, that's the big motivator. At this point, I have to keep going because it has to be worth it in the end. Or whether it's the adrenaline rush of what if this is the moment? What if this is the one? What if? Every single month, me and Dr. Shahab play this game. Every single month. And the announcement is coming up. Like mentally, I'm marking what day it is and I'm getting excited. And you know the restrictions end on like a Friday. So it's like that Tuesday, pay attention. And sure enough, you'll hear on Monday, like a press conference is coming up the next day. So I don't know about you, I get excited. Like a little bit of adrenaline, I'm like, this is it. This is the one. Good news. They're going to come up in front of the cameras and they're going to say, fantastic news, everybody. It's going to get better. This month will be better than the month before. And every single month, I get my lottery ticket. I go and I scratch it off. And he says, it's not getting better. And I've lost again. Yeah, please try again. Like, it's just, it's crippling. And it was, it was one thing for a month or two. But like, this is a year. A year. And I don't even know if I'm excited for the next press conference anymore. I think I'm just mad now. Because how dare you build up my hope every single time? Especially right before Christmas. It really felt like that was going to be the one. Come on. Like, I felt like that was going to be the one. Because in November, it was just disastrous bad news. Like, instead of a third of the church, it was just stay home. Just a few people can come. I thought, okay, Christmas, that'll be the one. And Christmas, sorry folks, January, sorry. That's when I texted Chantel. Because she had texted me that Tuesday and said, Darren, nothing's changing. Nothing. And I replied back, ah, suck a lemon. I was just, I was sour. I was downright mad. I think First Peter, man, it might be for me more than I want to admit. It'll make sense. Let's read some of First Peter and see if you understand. I'll paraphrase a little bit to help add in some of the rest of First Peter, but we'll go through the beginning of chapter 1. Peter a servant of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles and strangers in this world, scattered throughout the country. People who've been chosen according to God's knowledge through the work of the Spirit, the sacrifice of Jesus covered by his blood. To you, I pray for grace and peace. And we praise God, the Father of Jesus, because he's given us new birth. He's given us living hope because Jesus is alive, resurrected from the dead. And he's given us this inheritance that'll never perish, spoil, or fade. The inheritance is kept in heaven for you 
safe and secure. You'll get it one day. And though you feel exposed, you are shielded by God's power until the day Jesus comes back. It's through your faith that God is protecting you. In all of these things you rejoice greatly, and you should, for these things are good. Though for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. I thank goodness Peter stops there for a second and just acknowledges how hard it is. Because it's so easy to flip to the Psalms and to read the really happy ones. And just like, we're Christians, we're happy, everything's fine. But he doesn't do that. He goes over a few of the things that are really worth celebrating. And then quickly he goes, and yes, life sucks sometimes. I know that. I know that. He says in verse 7, these things have come so that your faith may be proven genuine. And your genuine faith may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus comes back. Your faith is of greater worth than gold. And you know that gold perishes even though we refine it with the heat of fire. And even though you haven't seen Jesus, you love him. Even though you don't see him right now, you believe in him. And you're filled with joy that you can't express. Joy that's glorious. Because you're receiving the goal, the reward of your faith. You're receiving salvation. Salvation of your soul. I feel like you wrote it to me. Like to people who are stranded alone. People going through pain and suffering. But it's pain with a purpose. There's a reason behind it. It's not for nothing. He compares it to refinement. He's speaking to these discouraged people, and this is a letter of encouragement. You have to imagine that at their worst moment, this letter gets passed through town and it's read out loud for them. And he says, I know the pain that you're going through. Peter at this time is in exile in Rome. And he says to them, you're going through a trial. It feels like fire. You are experiencing the heat of the blaze and it's burning and refining. And this is for good. Because this, this will reveal genuine faith. And that's what's going to bring glory to the Father. That is what is going to praise Jesus in the end. Yes, we think it'll be the songs that we sing and the Bible reading that we do and all these, these little things. But very quickly, we realize it's boiled down to genuine faith. This is a thing when Jesus comes back that will be exposed, whether it's real or not. Genuine faith. Now, I could stand here and tell you that everything bad in your life happens for a reason, and it's a good reason. And there's probably a lot of self-help books written by pastors who tell you the same thing. Every bad thing in your life, don't worry. It's for good, trust me. And they'll go to places like Romans chapter 8. And they'll read verses like, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So see, I told you. Everything is for good. That's who God is. It's all for good. And then the problem is the first time we go through the fire, we doubt if God's real or we doubt if God's even there. Because if God is really going to work all things for good, 
then why is my life falling apart? Why am I trapped at home? Why am I lonely? Why am I, why am I feeling uh, anxious, feelings of depression? Why am I feeling these things if all things are supposed to work for good? Well, just have a good attitude. Read some of the happy Psalms. It'll be fine. What they don't realize is Paul was writing to an exiled church in the heart of the Roman Empire. This is the same chapter of Romans where he says nothing can separate us from Jesus. Nothing. Because they needed to know that even as the Roman Empire like, started killing them, murdering them, that they weren't alone. That they weren't cut off. Like Even if, if you are to read the next verse, 29 says, For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. So right away you see that the people chosen by God are going through a refinement process where you are being conformed to look like Jesus. Have you ever read the story of Jesus' life? It's painful. Like we like to read that he took bread and he ripped it in half and it became 5,000 pieces of bread. And like if you get a kid's Bible, like the one Cooper and Jesse read, like that story is in there. That's a good story. Bread. And then there's... What else is always in there? Like somebody who can't walk is able to walk again. Very positive. And then Jesus dies, but it's okay. He's alive. And it's positive. But you actually open your Bible and you read through it. He heals someone and right away he's attacked for healing them. Right? He helps someone see. He helps a a lame person walk. He has lunch with a prostitute. He goes to visit a tax collector, and he's attacked by the teachers in the temple, the pastors of their churches. He's rejected. He's pushed out of town. They try to murder him. He has to avoid going to Jerusalem to the feasts out of fear that they'll arrest him and murder him before his ministry is done. He heals Lazarus, brings him back to life, and the Jews are there scoffing at him plotting how to arrest him and kill him. Like, his life story is tragic and it's painful and it's filled with suffering. And Paul says, God is conforming us every day through every experience to look more like his son Jesus. Every moment is working for that good to make us more like him. So you look back at this past year and you ask yourself this question, how over the past year has God made me more like Jesus? How has he made me trust him more, rely on him more, talk to him more? Or maybe it's done the exact opposite and has actually pushed you further away, which is tragic, but it happens. Peter's also not naive to the fact that he has seen Jesus. Thank you, Peter, for doing this. Because it's such a... It's hard to take Peter's words seriously when he says, just have faith. He saw Jesus. He lived with him for three years. So it's so easy for him to say, just trust him. He'll come through, guys. He'll come back one day. These people have never seen Jesus. He's a story to them. He's words in a book. That's it. Peter watched him multiply the bread, watched Lazarus come out of the grave. He watched the blind man see. He saw Jesus touch the leper. Jesus said, get out of the boat, 
Peter walk on the water, and Peter did it. He saw his foot. I'm not kidding. He saw his foot land on the water, and he stood on it. So he marvels when he writes to these people and says, I know you've never seen him. And I know that right now, he's not visible to you. And yet you believe and yet you love him. That's proof of how genuine your faith is. Same to you. Same to you. You've never seen him. But we're indwelt with his spirit. God has taken himself and placed him in you, in you, in you, inside of me. But I don't see him. So in the midst of this year, when I'm not doing well, when I'm not feeling well, when everything is shut down and I'm at home, I have to trust that he's there. He's he's not visible the same way that he was to Peter. As a pastor, I'm really nervous for the day that all of us are back here in the sanctuary together. It might seem like an odd thing, but I'm genuinely nervous. Not because I think we're all going to get sick. I'm genuinely nervous because not all of us are going to be here. I don't know if you've thought about that. Because trial and pain either pushes you towards God or does what? It pushes you away from him. Right? Either the pain of this past year is going to have made you so desperate for help that you're going to have relied on God more than ever, or at least humbled yourself to acknowledge you need him more than you did before. Or it's going to have the opposite effect. Where I've been told that God is good, I've been told that he's looking out for the best interest of me and my family. And I've made these sacrifices to believe in him and to live for him. And yet I've been rewarded with pain and pain and pain and pain and pain. So if that's God, either he's cruel and he's evil and he's not here or he's not real. Because if he was here, wouldn't things be better? If he was real, wouldn't things be okay? Because we take our circumstances and we place those on God. Like that's who he is. Because God allows bad, so God must be bad. So I'm nervous because some people won't be here. But for who will be here, I can't wait to talk to them. Because I think this year is going to do a dramatic thing in their life. We claim to depend on God. Some of us talk about it. We rely on him. But like I said before, sometimes it's like Jesus is this speed bump, like the ones in front of Safeway that you always whack with the minivan. And you're like, why are they there in front of Safeway? Because I have to go like 10 kilometers an hour and it makes me mad. And some people look at Jesus and go like, that's him in my life. I want to go full speed. I want to spend time and effort and energy on me, on my family, on my joy, my contentment, my security. And Jesus is the stupid bump in front of the grocery store that makes me slow down. And yet, I don't know how I would have gotten through this past year without Jesus. He's my anchor in the storm. Without him, I would have been all over the place. When before in history has the entire church experienced the same trial at the same time? All of us have had our lives violently shaken, and yet most of our world has no anchor, and we do. 
I'm going to close with this illustration. It's the story of the vine and the oak tree. It says the vine clings to the oak during the fiercest of storms. Although the violence of nature may uproot the oak, twining tendrils still cling to it. If the vine is on the side of the tree opposite the wind, then the great oak is its protection. And if it's on the side exposed, then the tempest only presses it closer to the trunk. In some of the storms of life, God intervenes and he shelters us, while in other moments he exposes us to the storm so that we will be more closely pressed to him. That's what I hope for this past year. That's what I hope for you and for me, that it's pressed us more closely to him and hasn't pushed us away. And, and just to close by saying, if it hasn't, if the past 10 months has resulted in this feeling inside of you where you just haven't had time for God, if you've been separated from him, if, if Bible reading has been the furthest thing from your mind, it's not too late. And I mean it. Turn to John. That's what I'm reading right now. Go to chapter one and start reading. If you haven't prayed in the past 10 months and you feel bad because you just dropped God when we stopped church, just start praying this afternoon for five minutes. Just tell him how you're doing. Tell him how mad you are. Tell him how sad you are. Tell him how disappointed you are. I talk to him all the time about stuff like that. It has to be real. Not the way that you talk to some artificial friend. The way you talk to your dad. I'm nervous. I'm scared. I'm lonely. I'm in pain. And just watch what happens. Watch as he breathes life back into you. That's my hope and prayer for us as a church, that God would breathe life back into us and press us more closely to him. That's my hope for you, that you would experience life in Jesus. And no matter how separated and desolate and alone you feel, Remember that gold that goes through the fire comes out more pure than it went in. My hope is that your faith has gone through the same thing. So lean into him. In a real and honest way, lean into him. He's there for you. Heavenly Father, My prayer for our family, my prayer for my family, is that you would be there for us right now. I'm tired. I'm tired of disappointment, and I'm tired of feeling alone. And I know, Lord, that I'm not the only one who's going through that and feeling that, experiencing that. Meet us, Lord Jesus, in this moment. Encourage us, Lord, by your word and by your Holy Spirit and through prayer. 
that you are in this boat with us in this storm, and that if we just turn around, you're sitting right there. We don't have to be afraid anymore. And Lord, the pain that we're feeling is real and it's honest. And you're gonna use that pain to shape off parts of us, Lord, and shape new parts to us to make us more like Jesus. Finally, Lord, just continue to remind us of the pain that Jesus went through, the days that he spent alone, the judgment that he faced, the isolation that he faced, knowing the way that so many people felt about him. He knows what it feels like to hurt. He knows what it feels like to be rejected. He knows what it feels like to be alone. He's been through this, and he's going through this with us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Darren and Nick, pastors of Bridgeway, writing to God's chosen people, you, scattered in the swift current, Stewart Valley, Rabbit Hill, Waldeck, Weimark, Woodrow, W's, Black Pelche, even those of you that are listening from Osler, Warman, from Steinbeck, from Vanderhoof. This is our prayer. You have Jesus, your Savior. May you have more and more of God's special favor and wonderful peace, even if it's necessary for you to endure many trials for a short period of time. There's joy ahead, and you have Jesus. Mm -hmm.